Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me, a woman scorned by Minecraft, Avery at Brave Grapes. <laughs> I'm so fucking sick of Minecraft and dying in fucking Minecraft and my friends in Minecraft not getting my stuff when I die. It's rude. And I don't appreciate it. <laughs> the contrast between last week um, in Minecraft, I'm a gamer girl, and now I fucking hate Minecraft. Uh, insane. Also joining me, Matthew Burton at No Pit Stops. Good old Rocky Top. Woo! Rocky <laughs> Top's home to me. <laughs> How do you know this song? I'm a Tennessee fan now. I've, it's official. I, it's over. Holly Anderson, please send remedies. I don't want this pain, but I guess a different pain is still good pain. Oh, God. Uh, no read today. He's celebrating a family member's birthday. Really sad. We really, really Roll love wave. to read. Roll wave. <laughs> Uh, and no Greg today either. He's uh, he's coming back from the granddaddy of them all. He's actually very pissed off at me because I uh, I was talking trash about Utah. Oh my me from gosh! Our chat. This oh, whole podcast is just going to be us talking trash about Utah, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so angry. I'm like I'm drunk angry, which is the best kind of angry. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yeah, we do have a jam-packed episode for y'all. We have so many bowl games to recap. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about our favorite moments from bowl season. We'll recrown a Pac-12 football champion now that the dust has settled. But first, a boring programming note. This is indeed our football finale on the main feed. But if you're thirsty for more Pac-12 content, you can subscribe to our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. Reed and Matt are actually going to host weekly Pac-12 off-season episodes. We'll have other Pac-12 content on there, too. But... Uh, we're also going to continue with our basketball episodes on the main feed. Those are going to continue to drop at Wednesday uh, at 5 a.m. for now. We're probably going to change that as we uh, as we move forward, but we'll let, every- let everyone know if we do. Uh, also, we are once again asking you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are back to 3.5 stars. Thank you all very much. Special thanks to Pavion Dion. <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure out how to read that. Uh, he writes... Easily the most fun Pac-12 coverage in the sphere. All hosts all bounce off each other really well, no matter the combination for each show. Need more movie review segments after the Glass Onion talk. Hey, thank you for that review. I'm glad people liked our Glass Onion talk. Can we do a Babylon episode? What the fuck is Babylon? Okay, fuck you, first of all. (laughs) Matt, did you watch Glass Onion, by the way? Of course I did. Did you like it? I did. I thought it was really good. Um, Janelle Monet, best character, like acting performance in all of the entire series. I liked the first one better, but I thought it was good. I, I think that your points of talking about how Ryan Johnson spoke to power, I, I thought it was very valuable. I thought the first time ever, really proud of you. Really want to <laughs> lift you up here. You had a good take. Good uh, job, Carlos. No, not after today. Today I had some horrendous <laughs> takes on Twitter. I had a bad day sure on did. Twitter. <laughs> Uh, we could we could talk about that, but uh, Glass Onion was a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe we'll watch it. Maybe do Babylon. I'm watching a Kaleidoscope right now. Have y'all heard of Kaleidoscope? Never heard of her. It just it just came out on <laughs> it just came out on Netflix. Apparently, it's like a heist show where like you can watch them in any order except for the last one, and you can like pick a random order, and they're all supposed to go together, and you get like different things out of it depending on what order oh, you go cool. in. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm two episodes in. I started with green and I think yellow, and it's been it's been good so far. Anyway, maybe we'll do more uh, uh, TV reviews, movie reviews, things we're watching in the uh, in the off season or even this season. Who cares? Anyway, uh, that's our review. So please send us uh, five star reviews. We'll read our favorite on the podcast. All right, let's get into it with a recap of all the Pac-12 bowl games. Matthew Bertson, you did very little prep for this, so I'm very excited to see what you come <laughs> up with. How about you take us away? <laughs> don't judge me. I don't know where we actually ended, so we're backing up all the way to the beginning of ball season. Saturday, okay. December 17th, Florida. <laughs> God, their ass beat by Oregon State. The Beavlet winning 30-3. to That's Pac-12 1-0. Washington State got the shit kicked out of them by Florida or by Fresno State. The Jake Hayner train rolls on. I'm technically calling that a Pac-12 win because Jake Hayner is canonically a Pac-12 quarterback. 29-6. <laughs> Pac-12 is two and one in the ball season one Wednesday, and one. December two and one, sir. 
Uh, Jake Hanger is a Pac-12 quarterback. Fucking oh, oh, listen to me for well, once only in your two goddamn games. life. We talked about two games, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's Oregon played one. North Carolina <laughs> in what was supposed to be a like seventy-eight point three total game total uh, defensive struggle. Oregon wins twenty-eight to twenty-seven against North Carolina because North Carolina cr- trusted a college kicker and they missed an extra point. Also on, or not also the next day on Thursday, tw- December 29th, Washington beats. The Alamo Bowl allegations beating Texas 27 to 20 in the Texas is supposed to win this game by 100 points. Unbelievable. 27 to 20. Kind of a weird game where Quinn Ewers was like the better quarterback, but also not as good. I don't know. Super weird. <laughs> and also Friday. Sark like attacked. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, Sark. Boy, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Sark like cussed out. But it was in a weird like he had a pause after he had actually got touched on the chest. Which, yeah, it was weird. Which I feel like undercuts any sort of explanation you could possibly have of that event. Like Sark was just trying to do something to pump up his team. Anyways, Pitt beat UCLA 37 to 35 in a Big Ten versus ACC matchup uh, in the whatever the fuck it's called bowl. Sun Bowl. Sun Bowl. D- DTR had a great time talking shit until he could not Tony play anymore. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Tony the Tiger is Big Ten as shit. We all know this. Uh, He's a so big guy. Built. Leaving the new Pac 12 as 3 and 0 in Pac 12 Bowl. Games are three and one. Excuse me. That was inappropriate. Moving into the New Year's Day, but also only the uh, whatever is the actual observed New Year's Day, January 2nd. Tulane beats USC 46 to 45. This was an absolutely incredible game. Roll wave. Uh, USC, uh, Kayla Williams, possibly an elite wide receiver merchant. Who's to say? Not me. I would never. <laughs> and then we go into the Rose Bowl where Utah got their ass absolutely beat. 35 to 21. I'm actually considering that a 35 to 14. They decided to put the pig farmer in over the elite speed, elite thrower, Nate Johnson. Should have been 35 to 14. Should have been a situation where you actually play the best talent in the game. One of quite possibly the most aesthetically pleasing Rose Bowls that we've ever seen, Utah versus Penn State. I absolutely loved the colors in this game. Mm. But Utah got their ass beat. I think we might know what the Utah football ceiling is, but don't tell Matt he has a Twitter bit to keep up. <laughs> you do have to keep that up. Uh yeah, crazy stuff uh, going around with the Pac-12 Utah traveled games. well, though. SEC is hell, Carlos. That is true. Let's get right into that game. Uh, the granddaddy of them all, you mentioned it, Penn State blowing out Utah 35-21. to The score does not adequately portray just how bad of a beatdown this was. This was actually pretty close going into the third quarter, uh, but Penn State uh, eventually pulled away and took a 35-14 to lead until Utah scored a garbage time touchdown to win it cam rising had to exit this one early because of an injury had lots of stuff happened in this game uh in the end utah's offense sputtered and its defense kind of fell apart uh, i've got many many thoughts about this and those two narratives but matt let's let's start with drunk matt matt what uh, what did you take away from this game Whew, okay so utah missed their tight ends man like just offensively had zero threat of anything explosive anything that really felt like any sort of a, a a like they could actually put something out offensively that the other team couldn't stop which against usc we obviously saw but obviously usc can't stop anything uh two lane proved that today so i i definitely feel like that was a big part of this game where i don't listen like obviously giving up 35 points in a college football game you don't love that but if you want to win a game, you got to score 30 points. You just do in college football. And so I I come out of this game really disappointed with the Utah offense. Really, I, I cannot stress enough how unhappy I am that Bryson Barnes got as many series as he did. I understand potentially throwing him in in the first or second series available for the backup quarterback after Cam Rising went out with an injury. But the fact that you continue to go back to him when it was so unbelievably clear that it was it was me back there. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> it was, All right. Te- it was technically Avery back there. Listen, I you agree. Know, the I'm okay. I would be a Heisman level quarterback <laughs> under the USC offense. I understand that. Let's say that it was Twitter user Equity Bruin playing quarterback for Utah. 
It wasn't, it just, it wasn't happening. And the fact that Utah didn't even try to throw in Nate Johnson in a game where it doesn't affect his redshirt, in a game where it doesn't, it, it doesn't have any implications on next year. Like I just, man, that was rough to watch a walk-on out there playing quarterback instead of who actually has supreme talent, who actually can be the best player on the field. To not go to him was was pretty fucking damning, in my opinion. Um, also, long... extremely predictable. <laughs> oh, like, my God, so bad, We all right? saw this coming. I think as soon as Cam Rising went down and it looked like he would not be playing anymore, I, th- I think we all were like, oh, we want Nate Johnson, we want Nate Johnson. But we knew we would see Bryson Barnes because Utah staff repeatedly makes the wrong decision at quarterback. And the fact that it doesn't affect Nate Johnson's red shirt, that they changed the rule this year, that bowl games will not affect that four game rule is just the most absurd thing that they wouldn't even consider playing him, especially since before the game, like there was conversations being had where Nate Johnson was told that he would be used in the Rose bowl. And he was, he didn't get us. He wasn't in at all. Like not a, not a single snap. So bad. What the fuck so was going bad. on? It's not like it was a late game injury, like what happened with Cam Rising last year. This was in the third quarter. Like there was plenty of time to just try out Nate Johnson. I don't know if they thought it would magically start working or what was going to happen, but it's like you had nothing to lose at that point. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was surprising. I think their offense was was not good uh, at all. But I, I've got to say, I was much more, I don't want to say disappointed because I just didn't, I didn't very think very highly of Utah's defense coming into this one. Um, but it was it was a, a, an underwhelming performance from Utah's defense. I, I thought they really missed Clark Phillips third. Yeah, uh, I told, I told he's you the how only good player. He's the only good player told, on their defense. I tried to tell y'all how valuable Kirk, Clark Phillips III was to this defense. Like the fact that he is able to shut down an entire half of the field and let two safeties cover the other half is invaluable. He's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and it left some pretty vulnerable defensive backs there alone uh, on Penn State, and and they were also out of position, right? So that's on coaching. If you got, if they're not even in. But they're not even anywhere. It felt like a couple of times where Penn State's receivers were just like catching balls with no one within 10, 15 yards of them. Uh, that's that's also a schematic thing. But uh, no, they were getting burned. Chris Fowler uh, actually called out RJ Hubert uh, much the way that you did, Matt, in Utah's last game uh, for getting burned frequently uh, the way he did uh, against Penn State. I wonder who State. the Utah safety coach is. I don't who coaches <laughs> Utah safeties. Is it, is it someone, maybe future someone head coach Morgan Scally? Is it That'd uh, be the, the person? Twitter, Twitter at Twitter user Safety Pride. Is that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the yeah, future of Utah's perform- program. <laughs> uh, bad, U- uh, bad Utah defensive performance. 9% explosive play rate for Penn State, which is like not horrible, but not good either. Uh, that's certainly not what you want to be doing, especially if your offense is not able to get anything going. Um, big regression game, I think, from Cam Rising. He did not look good even when he was in there and healthy. He eventually had to exit. Honestly, was he that much better than Bryson Barnes? If we're being honest with ourselves, like, was there a huge uh, gap between the two of them? (laughs) Technically, Bryson Barnes had a better line. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bryson Barnes went 10 for 19, 112 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Cam Rising went 8 for 21, 95 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, Cam Rising did not look good to start this game. Cam had a 60 QBR versus Bryson Barnes at a 24. So, like, there's Mm -hmm. that one piece, but I guess there's, I guess there's, again, I'm going to keep screaming Nate Johnson into the ether. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a, uh, a good, there's no use in talking about those two when probably the, the most dynamic quarterback they have on the roster was left off the field entirely. But Cam Rising, I think people were sort of really high on him and have been, and he, he has been a, a very, Solid quarterback for them, a very competent one. Reminds me a lot of like a Jake Browning or a Kevin Hogan um, from previous Pac-12 championship teams. But man, he did not look good. He was not. He was like super inaccurate, like at every single level. Threw a really bad pick at one point. Uh, wasn't. I don't think was moving nearly as well as he probably has in the past. Although you know he was still getting yards and still getting runs. But Carlos, who was the UCLA guy? I can't remember. I never can remember his name. He played for the back the Packers. Um, white guy. I white guy. Jo- not Josh. I mean Josh Rosen. Never not Rosen. The, the guy before Rosen. 
played for the Packers. Uh, Come on, you know him. I don't. I think you're getting someone mixed up. What are you talking no, about? No, I'm not. God damn it! All right, fine. I'll Google it. Whatever. Brett, Keep... It wasn't Brett Huntley. You were talking about that Brett Huntley. Huntley is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. I feel like I feel like Rising is very much Huntley. Yeah, like, that's a great this comparison. Weird, like you are not that talented. You are not elite at anything. But fuck, you're a gamer. Like you just there's these there's these critical plays that you make every time. And that's good. That's super, super good. And that is, I mean, that's Tim Tebow to a T, right? Like that is super valuable in the college football world, but that's not going to win you championships. That's not something that you can rely on. It just isn't as much as I love my thick boy seven. It's just, it's not going to work. And especially when that guy goes out to go to his clone is incredibly foolish. (laughs) It's incredibly foolish. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He um he was just missing a bunch of stuff. Uh, he was uh, he was not making the best decisions. I don't think he was actively hurting Utah. I actually think one of the big problems with Utah's offense was maybe leaning on Cam Rising a little bit too much. He had 21 attempts by the time he ended up getting injured, and it was still a close game when he was getting injured. It was not uh, a blowout by that point. It's not like he they were trying to catch up. Eight carries too. Eight yeah. carries, like a- nine. It looks like. Um, so I, I don't know for a team that really prides itself on running the ball. Maybe they just weren't getting anything, but like Jaquindon Jackson had 16.2 yards per carry off 13 carries. Uh, Makai Bernard had 5.4 yards per carry off 11 carries. You'd wonder why they didn't get more run. Uh, you wonder why they didn't scheme more stuff to try to, to try to get them a little bit more, um, uh, more touches and better positions. Something happened there uh, with Utah's offense and some of the decision-making. Maybe they just got too galaxy-brained and scouting Penn State. I don't know anything about Penn State secondary. Maybe they saw something. I don't know. Missing but it was their a best bizarre... player. Yeah. Missing Joey, that... pa- Joey Porter Jr. Right, right. They mentioned that on the broadcast. So, brutal game from, from Utah. Does this uh, sour their season? Do you feel like this, uh, I don't know. I mean, we already felt weird about them as Pac-12 champs, but, like, did this change anything for you? I feel like winning the conference was so unexpected for Utah late in the season, like especially after their loss to Oregon, that it's hard to make let the Rose Bowl loss sour their season because their season already felt a little bit soured before their conference championship appearance, and they won that, which made their season end up a lot better than what I think most people thought it should have ended like. So I come away from this game thinking like completely meh. Like to me, Utah is a three loss team <laughs> like technically they they had four losses because they just lost to Penn State but it just feels like you know they feel like a nine and three team to me yeah I don't know Which I, I don't feel I mean, worse not, about it it's not it's not bad but it's not what we expected from Utah our, our homie uh Babushka Utes at Babushka Utes uh said in the chat Wit just said Cam Rising's injury is significant so that's uh that's brutal. And Grapes mentioning you there that it looked like it was an ACL. So I hope. So he's back next I year. Fuck yeah, me. I don't think he's going to go to the NFL, <laughs> but I think um, Utah fans should hope that his injury is significant enough that he never plays football again. Wow. That's so damn. terrible. That's so Nate, terrible. But I don't. God damn I think Johnson. If, reach I in your bag Cam, and pull out a supreme talent for once in your goddamn yeah. life. If Cam Rising <laughs> returns next season, he is going to get the nod because Utah values experience over almost anything. Um, and that I think is enough to make Nate Johnson transfer to a program that will value him. So <laughs> throw up. that's scary hours. Yeah. If you're a Utah I mean, fan, uh, you do not want Cam Rising coming back. You got to hope it's a Clark Phillips situation where they start him early. But again, if Cam Rising's coming back, they're not going to sit Cam Rising. No. They're just not. Um, no way in hell. And it would it would look I, bad on the program. They 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 almost are obligated to, which is unfortunate. I think that Grapes is absolutely correct. Where like this feels like more of a validation of how we viewed the Utah season, hmm. yeah. Than a than like an indictment. It lessens it or an indictment. Absolutely, anything like that. Like this was a very good football team. This was not an elite football team. I think that Penn State was a very good football team, not an elite football team. And so, like, you, this is just kind of what happens. Like, I very much view what Penn State did to Utah very similarly to what Utah did to Oregon State. Like, I, I just, I, I think that these are two good teams. 
maybe on the edge of like capital G, certainly not great, but Utah's a good team. And I think that we kind of showed what their ceiling is where they're going to beat the teams that they're supposed to. And as much as like this podcast absolutely hates USC, I, I am absolutely resolved to that fact. We're going to get into how we, how we feel about USC. Utah should have beaten USC twice. That, that is, that is the reality of where that USC program is at fault of Clay Helton or whoever the fuck you want to play that place that blame on Utah is simply in a program state that is better than where USC is. Utah is not in a program state that is better when per, where Penn State is, and they are not in a place where you can expect them to go into a game and beat a team like they that. And the ability for Utah to take the next step and to rely on supreme talent like a Nate Johnson, like a Clark Phillips, is is kind of the next step for this program. And I think, truly, I view this I view this game as more of a catalyst for where do you want to go as the program? Is this is this where you're going to establish your ceiling? Or do you want to actually make a change to say that, you know what, no matter what, if we have supreme talent, we're going to rely on it, even if it means another loss. So I, I, I think that last year's game against Ohio State, I think that you kind of saw a little bit of a validation of where the Utah program was at, where they were able to keep up with particular supreme talents of a C.J. Stroud and a uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. This year, I feel like this is a little bit more of a, hey, do you want to take the next step or do you want to sit in this comfortable place of being a second tier college football program for your entire existence? I mean, to the point about the Ohio State thing, I think these two Rose Bowls uh, from 2021 and 2022 kind of paint a picture of, of what we thought about Utah this year, which was they had regressed a little bit from 2022 to from 2021 to 2022. They did not look as good. I, I think 2021 Utah looked better in the end than 2022 Utah did. They were they they were much better defensively. I thought offensively, like Cam Rising looked much better than he does now. The running backs were better last year than they were this year. Uh, the linebackers, the, the front seven in general was much better last year than it was this year. The secondary, I think, was probably a little bit better, and that's probably because Clark Phillips uh, turned it up to another level. But I don't know, kind of unfortunate. Uh, I, I I find it, I uh, I don't know, um, I find it I find it concerning, but it could be just maybe it was a rebuilding year. Maybe the Pac-12 was just much tougher than, than what we had experienced last year, so... I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Kyle Whittingham's coming back next year. I think that's probably a, a safe assumption. It's got, it's, it's, uh, they've got to, I think they have some stuff to figure out because this year was a, a pretty disappointing, all things considered. Uh, finishing what, 10 and four? Uh, that's not what we expected Utah to yeah. be this year. My, my biggest like feeling after this game is just overall frustration that the Pac 12 changed the rules surrounding the divisions that let Utah sneak into the conference championship game. Because I didn't want to watch Utah in the conference championship game. I don't think most people wanted to watch Utah in the conference championship game. And I genuinely think that this Rose Bowl would have been a lot more fun with Washington. So, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's almost like you almost, I mean, uh, it's almost like where did uh, Utah end up in that week right before the final one? They were 11th, right? So, if their season ends and they don't go to the the role they don't get to the pactual title game because of the division stuff they're probably they're probably in a new year six wall they're probably playing Tulane and I kind of think Utah would has a much better shot at being at, would have beaten Tulane um no. I, I think they would have beaten Tulane no. I think they beat I think they beat the teams they're supposed to including the ones that are pretty good um Anyway, I uh, let let's move on to Tulane is the most UCLA ass team I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, let's hear. Oh my, that's a comparison. Let's move on to talk about the uh, Pac-12's other New Year's Six Bowl loss. USC lost to Tulane, forty-six to forty-five in the Cotton Bowl. This game looked a lot like every other USC game we've watched, where USC went up early. They squandered a 28 to 14 lead, lost that lead, only to extend it later to 45 to 30 with 434 left in the game. And then all hell broke loose for USC. Uh, Tulane running back Tajay Spears, who Reed warned us about, he got a mm-hmm. touchdown to make it a one score game. USC then bungled a, a kickoff. Uh, I think they ended up getting a penalty too uh, that pinned them at their own two yard line. 
Then Tulane got a safety, a critical safety. Those two points really mattered uh, to make it 45-39, to 39, cut it as a six-point game. The Green Wave got the ball back, and they scored again to win 46-45. to 45. This was an unbelievable, unhinged game. So let's get this started. Initial reactions to this game for USC. Grapes, what did you think of USC's performance and this game in general? Laughter. My like reaction to this game was just like constant laughter. I was laughing so much. USC's defense is so bad, like comically bad. It's incredible that Grinch is still employed. I'm like surprised he wasn't fired immediately after this Darn game. It was actually very funny because the broadcasters kept saying how the defense was like offended that everyone kept saying Grinch was bad. And I'm like, you guys should be offended that you have to play for this coach. I don't think you understand. <laughs> they're they're the defense is so bad. And I think it was very obvious when it came down to that final um two lane drive after the safety, like USC's defense is what's standing between Tulane and a win. Like we knew Tulane was gonna win. <laughs> like I feel like it was very clear that this this defense was not getting the stops they needed to. There was like a fourth and ten that they could have stopped them on and Tulane converted. It's like it's so comically bad and it's honestly infuriating because Caleb um Williams is such a good quarterback and it's like he shouldn't have to carry his entire team on his back when you're fucking USC. Like you should be able to scrounge up like at least a mediocre defense to assist you in these games. And USC hasn't done that all season. And that's what's bitten them in the ass over and over and over. Bit them in here too. Matt, what did you think about USC's performance in this game? I think that I, I, I think that we kind of came into this game being like, look, like I, I said after I think it was the third or fourth two lane drive where I was like, man, we are a drive away from the exact same game script as the Pac-12 championship game. Like, USC came out hot on offense, came out uh, flying around, feels like there was intention to the direction that the defenders were flying around for USC. But they were actually moving fast, and nonetheless, very similar to the Utah game for USC, it just didn't matter. And so I, I definitely, there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say questioning, but I, I about midway through the third quarter, I felt like, okay, they've weathered USC has weathered the storm and they've been able to kind of uh, to to bear the counterpunch that you, that Tulane had. And nonetheless, it was just the fact that you that Tulane took an additional nine minutes that Utah did. Ultimately, it was still the exact same game script. It was still a situation where USC was not able to tackle, was not able to contain a particular portion of the Tulane offense. Tulane ran for 305 yards in this game. Jesus. And I think that coming into this game, you're not shocked by that number. You're really not. Like it's it, This is a defense that is not good. And it, Caleb Williams made one mistake. He he made one single mistake where he threw that ball down the sideline, attempting for Brendan Rice, and threw the interception right to the Tulane. I think it was a safety, but it was just it, he just didn't see him. Thought that he was going to be able to drop it over the top of him, and it just didn't matter. And that that is your one mistake that doomed USC in this game. And that's the that's the danger. That's the game that you play when you're playing a game as USC. I I mean we we just for USC to be able to run through the Pac-12 next year, which I don't think they're far off from doing. Obviously, they went eleven and one this year. They need some serious defensive reform. That is so badly. They cannot go into twenty twenty three with a with with Alex Grinch as their defensive coordinator. They just can't. I, we we they, talked they absolutely can't. There's we no talked way. about like, how Caleb Williams gains nothing from playing next year. Does he gain more from being the defensive coordinator than being the quarterback <laughs> next year? Yeah, to show I say this off his jokingly, IQ. but it's not an actual joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it was a uh, man. What a like horrible. Like like both of you said, uh, horrible defensive performance, emblematic of USC season defensively. 27, uh, 27% explosive play rate for Tulane. 27%. That's, uh, just so you know, 99th percentile is 17%. Like, that's the highest on this. You're like at 0.00001% uh, of like the top 0.00001% of all games. 
uh, in terms of explosive play rate that Tulane just had. They have one of the, that's like basically saying they had one of the most explosive games of all time. That's how bad this defense was. Uh, to give up a historically high number of explosive plays, they gave up, uh, how many was that? I don't think they have a number. They just say the rate. Um, but to give up 27% explosive play rate, absurd shit. That's terrible. Uh, there's no way you can ever expect to win a game when you when 27% of your opponent's offensive snaps are explosive plays. And yeah, there's just no excuse for it. Alex Grich really does have to. He has. There's no way he can is continue there, to do this. Is there this. a world? Is there a future where he doesn't get fired? Like, yes. How does he, how, Lincoln like, Riley has taken him from Oklahoma. 100%. Yeah, Lincoln Riley took him from Oklahoma when everyone knew he was already a bad defensive coordinator. When he was a bad defensive coordinator at Ohio State, he had like one decent year at Washington State and has been living off that ever since. Are there they is like a world putting in which the blame Lincoln... on the talent? What is, no, what is no, happening they, here? Well, so apparently Lincoln Riley refused to answer any questions at the end of this, like refused to answer many questions. I think they got like three questions in at the end of this game uh, and did not get a chance to ask him about any of the decisions that were going on. Didn't get a chance to ask about Alex Grinch. I think it's a loyalty thing. Um, I think it's like Lincoln Riley is deeply loyal to Alex Grinch and we're about to see, we're about to see that loyalty tested because Lincoln, they really squandered. Li- Lincoln, Lincoln, I know you listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> you, you are, you are the coach of a blue blood school. You don't have to be loyal to anybody. You don't. You are not a G5 program. You are not You are not like Boise State or some shit. You told another blue blood to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. 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 You I don't mean... have to be loyal to anyone. You are loyal to money and money alone. <laughs> so please fire him. You, He's so bad. USC allowed a 27% explosive play rate for two lines. <laughs> to put that in context, about 14% is 99th percentile. I literally 20... said that, Matt. How drunk are you? I literally <laughs> said these exact words. <laughs> Did you really? I'm not. Okay. He's like, wow, regardless... these ideas. <laughs> can, we, can we be real? Regardless of drunkenness, yes. I don't, yes, I don't yes, listen yes, to yes. you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's not even close. Like, I, I don't see a way that if you are a USC fan, as great as you feel about Lincoln Riley being your head coach, a hundred percent and hell, maybe apparently in my like one year, uh, one year exposure to USC fans, apparently they care more about Heisman trophies than they do about anything else. (laughs) I feel like they, they find ways to blame the refs instead of blaming their staff. If, if I think they're over Alex, Alex Grinch, Grinch I think they're over. I think they're over Alex. Good, they better be. You go into the next long. year. If you go into the next year with Alex Grinch, like you can't feel confident that you're going eleven and one again. No, no, no. They have someone brought this up. Uh, I forgot who it was. They have three All Americans on that defense. Three, and they look this bad. It's so stupid. It's, it's absurd. Absurd. They have so talent. Bad. I don't want to hear anything about how USC's roster on defense is like. Look, uh, Washington State had a much, much, much less talented, much thinner roster than anything USC can put together. And um, they had a serviceable defense. Maybe it was a little bit fraudulent, but, like, mostly it was okay. USC's defense has five stars. Eric Gentry, a really talented player. Makai Blackman, a really talented player. He's he's leaving now, but he was he's a really talented player. Um, uh, Tuli Tuli Pelotu, a really talented player, and he just squandered them. Like, how do you have three players that I think are that talented and have a defense as bad? You just can't. They they absolutely have no. I think that Lincoln Riley should hire Morgan Scally. Uh, frankly, Ooh, that like would be a, a massive upgrade for USC. That would like, be a massive. I think Porter that would make everybody impactful. happy. <laughs> he is a culture fit for the Big Ten as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, we, we talked a lot about, uh, USC's defense and that should be the story here is their defense really let them down. But, but, you know, USC's offense had an insane game. Uh, Caleb Williams had another five touchdown game, 462 yards, 37, oh, 52 passing. He's Brendan, so good. Brendan Rice went off. Uh, this Him was and Taj and Taj Washington. Those yeah, two had a fucking day. They combined for 11 uh, catches for 283 yards, 
two touchdowns. Um, a- absurd game from both of them. They It felt like every time they needed something, they went to Brendan Rice and then to Taj Washington, and it was like they got it whenever they wanted it. Again, the reason USC lost this game was not their offense. Uh, they, when you put up 45 points in a game, you should expect to win. They have now lost two times when they've scored 40-plus points. Three. Two times. Three uh, times. Well, they the other they only scored twenty four against the Utah the second time. Oh, you're that right. That was their only right. other loss. But you know, you you can't expect to get performances from your offensive guys, and to lose, uh, to do that multiple times in the season, it's egregious. It's bad. If they had like a twenty percent better defense, we would be talking about them having beat beaten the shit out of TCU in the playoff game. But uh, there's some major talent squandering happening right now with USC's defense. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I don't know what's what's happening. Uh, in this game, by the way, uh, Tulane, first of all, credits to Tulane. They had some really fun players, really fun talent. Their quarterback, maybe not the best quarterback on the planet, but like did his job, felt like a gamer, all this other stuff. Uh, they were showing like, I, they're, they're, I guess they had a player like 10, 15 years ago or so who like got paralyzed on the field and they showed like clips of him getting like CPR and stuff. That was like really traumatizing. I wish they hadn't shown that, but I was thinking about that just because apparently there's a player in the NFL who uh, who like had to get CPR for nine minutes. So I was like, oh god, I hope they didn't show that on TV. That's terrible. Well, they yeah. they did. Uh, please stop showing in massive injuries on TV. Nobody wants to see that. That is yeah. terrible. That's um, shout terrible. out to Reed. Really dangerous Roll wave. Reed Roll wanted wave. us to ask on the podcast um, to all the listeners who who of you your whose team won a New Year's Six game? Not mine. <laughs> Only Tennessee Reed. didn't win shit. Wait, did Tennessee <laughs> win? I can't remember. Tennessee did I don't win. Know. Go Vols! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a what a what a game. Anyway, speaking of Reed, speaking of New Year Six games, uh, not a New Year Six game, but probably getting talked about it in that way in terms of the result. The Alamo Bowl, Washington <laughs> finishes with the best record in the Pac-12. Um, they beat Texas 27 to 20. This was a much more dominant win, I think, than the, the score indicates. UW led 27 to 10 deep into the fourth quarter and led by 10 or more for more than half this game. They moved to 11 and 2, holding the best record of any team in the Pac 12. Unhinged uh, that it was through the Alamo Bowl that they got their 11th win. <laughs> like, that is, that feels so wrong. It, it in some ways it does. Uh, it feels like they really should have been in a New Year's Six game, but they get the pleasure of That's beating what another when you ranked lose to ASU. That that's true. It that's really true. But, made your bed. but honestly, I think you'd much rather have like uh, this is the thing we talk about with Utah. I feel like you'd much rather have the ending that Washington did than the ending that that Utah did. Um, they finished with seven straight wins to end the season. And a really good win over Texas, over what is analytically a good Texas team. I don't know if it's actually true that they were good. They finished 8-5. and five. Um, But analytically, they were a top-10 team, this Texas team was. So Washington goes in, wins that game. Um, any thoughts or reactions about the Huskies' performance in the Alamo Bowl, Grapes? I'm glad they didn't lose. I'm glad they proved that a Pac-12 team can beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl. Um, because Utah <laughs> fans were saying that was impossible. So Scholars have questioned. <laughs> Very, very funny. Um, I I don't have a lot of thoughts about Washington. I feel like it wasn't their most complete game. Like, I don't think their offense has looked as great as it has many times this season, which is unfortunate because I feel like when their offense is really playing their best, it's just so, 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 so much fun to watch. And this game, like, wasn't that much fun to watch. Um, <laughs> Michael Penix had one of his unfortunate um, interceptions, which is always sad because he's a really great quarterback but my my main um point to make about this game is steve sarkeesian just going fucking insane <laughs> was it like another coach what what was no that? it's like the people no, who it like is like a production assistant he was yeah. with the tv crew yeah oh he was okay. like trying to you know they're supposed to hold people back from entering the field at some point and yeah at one Took point a uh, little too literally pac-12 pac-12 legend steve sarkeesian uh gets held up by the chest just like the guy puts a hand to his chest to kind of tell him to back up a little bit and he fucking unloads I, 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 carlos he was grabbing titty okay <laughs> um, he uh I, I was like looking at that video over and over again to mouth read. i think he says something like get your fucking hands off me don't fucking touch me again motherfucker or something like that but it was like it was like crazy yeah. the way he was screaming it oh, like it was, was unhinged yeah yeah, yeah. he was yeah. really my, my upset. thing was it is that sark paused 
Like you could very, I, to me, I, my read on it is that Sark like had this situation occur, took a clear analysis of what was going on and then said, Ooh, this is a good way to rough up my team and to get them going. And then cuts so. out the Interesting. guy. Like okay. he took like a good two seconds he took a good two seconds before he was like, oh, hell yeah, here we go. This will get the boys going. Is that what his motivation was for that? The, it I shouldn't, don't know, it shouldn't have done but... it because it didn't work. Uh, they got their ass kicked. Uh, I, it's weird. This game, You, I felt like watching it, watching this game, it was it was not uh, super fun, Grapes, like you mentioned, but watching it was in control for most of it. Uh, Texas apparently had a 58% post-game win expectancy. For some reason, however Texas plays their games, the analytics love them. Even this game. They were like, yeah, Texas should have won this game. Anyone watching this game was like, yeah, no, they uh, should not have won this game because Washington was clearly better. Their success rate is so high. Yeah, uh, I, I guess so. I mean, Washington's defense was really impressive in this one. Holding Texas to 20, I think this was like a top 15, top 20 offense per all the metrics, SP+, beta rank, all those. Um, did a pretty good job holding them to 20, holding them to... Yeah, this is probably their best defensive game all year. Yeah. Their um, defense has not looked good easily. this year. That is not like the it, biggest compliment, but <laughs> this game, they looked like pretty solid. They looked competent. Yeah, they looked completely competent. Uh, Texas only gave up two points per drive to Texas, uh, had 2.7 themselves, which is very good defensively. So I, I don't know what it was uh, about Washington's defense. I'm not sure what got into them. Uh, I'm not sure if they just, you know, had time to rest. Maybe their DBs got a little bit healthier. I don't. I could not pinpoint what was different about Washington's defense. but Or maybe Texas is actually just bad and the analytics <laughs> are liars. Who could have known? <laughs> um, so Washington finishes with the best record in the Pac-12. I have a question for y'all later about that, but uh, I'll hold it. Any other thoughts about the Huskies beating, beating up on Texas? No, because I'm ready to yell at you for that take, so let's move on. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go uh, <laughs> to the Sun Bowl where UCLA, another meltdown from a Big Ten team. Uh, UCLA right. lost to Pitt 37-35 to in a similar USC-esque meltdown. Uh, UCLA led this game 28-14 to late into the third quarter before giving up 20 straight points to the Pittsburgh Panthers. UCLA actually ended up taking a 35 to 34 lead with about 34 seconds left. They probably shouldn't have had it, but they did. Uh, it looked like they were going to win, but their pit quarterback, Nick Patty led Pitt to a game winning drive ending in a field goal. Uh, this game had a lot of shit going on, had all kinds of trash talk. Uh, it saw DTR leave the game early due to a back injury. DTR doing a lot of trash talking beforehand. This game was all over the place. Uh, Matt, did you get to watch it? And what did you think of this absurd Sun Bowl? Absolutely. And I disagree with the concept that we're talking about DTR doing a, quote, lot of trash check, trash talking as if he was doing anything different than what he had ever done it's in true. every game this year. Yeah, this man true. is the most consistent college football quarterback that we have ever seen in the most inconsistent ways. Like he is an absolute son of a bitch. And I love every moment of him. Like he is incredible. And the the way that all of a sudden, like, you see a new program who is getting their first exposure to DTR talk about him in the way that Pitt fans were talking about DTR <laughs> was the best comedy I could ever ask for. This is what bowl season's about. This is what is beautiful about our sport. The fact that these people are like, oh, this is a real asshole. No, this is, it's a Tuesday for him. All right? Like, you don't have any importance. Every don't quarterback act like should you're... act like that. Every, every college football player, you're, you're a college athlete. Like, you just... Talk your shit. Do your thing. Have fun. Any complaint that has been made about Caleb Williams painting his nails, multiply that by about 17, and you might get close to what DTR does on a weekly basis. Like, it is beautiful, and I love every moment about it. Outside of that, like, man, it, it is. this was kind of the kickoff to what was a, an incredible last week of bowl games for college football. Carlos, I understand you don't watch Pac-12 games out, or non-Pac-12 games, and so like you missed out on some joy here. The final week of college football bowl games was incredible, and this was kind of the kickoff where you just kind of like – you had no idea what was absolutely going to actually going to happen. 
None of it made sense. I don't even know what Pittsburgh's quarterback's name is. Carlos just said it. I don't <laughs> listen to him anyways. It doesn't make a difference. Like this, this guy could have been like John Smith and it wouldn't have mattered. It just, it, the way that these games have kind of scripted has been completely outside of what you ex- would expect from a talent-wise or coaching-wise perspective. UCLA is so much better than Pitt. And even coming out of this game, like, it's just, it's not close. The only way that Pitt wins this game is because it's a bowl game and weird shit happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you're wondering, why does Matt sound weird? Is he drunk? Yeah, he's very drunk. I already right said now. that. <laughs> I just had to reiterate in case someone was dropping in. Uh, no, uh, this this game was truly absurd. Per collegefootballdata.com, uh, UCLA had a 92% post-game win expectancy. Feels UCLA. Feels a little low. <laughs> <laughs> Um, UCLA really dominated this game, I thought, offensively. Defensively, like, you know, they struggled, but they didn't give up very many explosive plays uh, until late, uh, it seemed. Uh, This was a a brutal meltdown from UCLA. It was a brutal meltdown from the Bruins. uh, Defensively, it was particularly brutal for DTR. Now, DTR actually uh, was not bad. He was pretty good. He was awesome in the first half. Fell off a little bit in the second half. That first half, he had a couple of picks two, that were just like two not of his fault. The, no, no, no. He didn't have two picks. His wide receivers had two yes, picks. Yes, yes. They were not <laughs> his fault. Uh, they went through his receivers' hands, gave Pitt some new life, some insane, uh, again, a theme for these L.A. schools, some insane kick uh, kick returning here that ended up with Pitt getting another opportunity at a score, which they took. Um, ugly, ugly game in the end of it, but Pitt comes out victorious. So I don't know. This UCLA team has a lot of shit to figure out. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is gone. Uh, Ethan Garbers did not look great in his, uh, steed, but again, he's not getting first team reps. So maybe that'll improve, but you know, UCLA has got Dante Moore coming in and you know, they've got a couple of other quarterbacks in the wing. So that's, uh, some questions I'll have to answer, but yeah, tough, tough meltdown from UCLA in the Sun Bowl. Grapes, what did you think? Do you have any thoughts about UCLA? Uh, I think that it is sad that DTR came back another year for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's what I think. I agree. I agree. It's unfortunate. Um, he he looked so good to start the season. He had he has big that, wins over Utah and uh, UW early on, and it looked like he was going to be unstoppable. But. but but I think that that's a good question. Do you think that him – because I don't think that he had a worse year this year. Do you think that there's value in him showing consistency in who he is as far as it relates to the next level? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, – I, I do think that. I feel like – he was he's been he was a much better player this year, um, and yeah, he's had a couple of tough mistakes, and you know has had some moments where he was a little bit down, but nowhere near as bad as it was early on in his years, and and frankly was a, a lot more consistent to your point than he was in 2021. So it was a good decision for him to come back. I think I think his stock rose from like a seventh round guy to maybe somewhere undrafted to like I feel like he'll probably go somewhere in like the third to fifth third, round third of the NFL fifth, draft. Right? Yeah. Like and yeah. I think that that's something that matters. And I think that that's something that we kind of need to 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 reevaluate when it comes to moving forward. Cause you look at Bo Nix, you look at Michael Penix, the decision to come back, like is that consistency something that can improve you by two, three rounds? Yeah, it's gotta be, right? Like even even uh Bo Nix, like I feel like no one, absolutely no one was like, is he going to leave for the NFL draft by the end of this? No, absolutely no one no. thought that. I think people thought he might leave Eugene because, like, it's not really a culture fit for him. But, like, you know, no one, absolutely no one thought that he was going to be an NFL prospect. And now it's like he's declaring for, not declaring, he's uh, d- uh, announcing that he's coming back. At, like, even that he had to announce it was, like, a a big step forward. That there was some chatter, like, hey, is he going to go to the NFL draft? That is an improvement. He's going to get another opportunity next year. So, and, and um, the same thing for Cam Rising, right? Like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, like the top so, four quarterbacks in the Pac-12 last year are coming back. Yeah, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. Who's the fourth? Uh, Cam Rising. Yeah, I say oh. Cam Rising. It should be <laughs> Nate Johnson, but you yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, ben well, that Goranson. was. That was <laughs> DJ Uyunglele. We're, we're getting we're doing DJU discourse. Uh, we're doing DJU propaganda all off season. It'll be fun. Okay, uh, last one we have here: the Holiday Bowl, Oregon Holiday beat North. Ball. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Oregon Holiday beat North. <laughs> 
<laughs> Oregon beat North Carolina 28 to 27 in another thriller. North Carolina led for much of this one, actually. Bo Nix ended up throwing a game winning touchdown pass to Chase Coda that needed to be reviewed for like six hours or whatever that was. Uh, Bo Nix clearly not 100% in this one, but I think he played well enough to get the Ducks a another 10 win season. So, thoughts on the Ducks in the Holiday Bowl, Matt, in this uh, thrilling thrilling matchup I, I was told there was supposed to be 83.7 points scored what happened mm, true. Um, there were Oregon was also favored by two touchdowns yeah I, I was I it was really weird because I think that we came into this game being like hey Oregon's defense is not very good obviously coming into this game they're missing Sewell they're missing flow it, it, if North Carolina is the offense that they're supposed to be, they should have put up 45 against this team, and they didn't. So that – and this is – I feel like this is the number one game for don't take any sort of evaluation off of bowl games. It's true. Because, like, defensively, Oregon should not have been able to hold this North Carolina team to 27 points. At the same time, you can't look at their offense and be like, oh, Kenny Dillingham must be a god because they only scored 28 points against an absolute shit show of a North Carolina defense. That's so true. Th- this is a really hard game. I mean, it was a fun game. Any game that's only within one point – I. I kind of said that this was I, obviously like the Pitt UCLA game was what really kind of solidified a really great uh, last weekend of college football. But the Oregon North Carolina game, the way that this was able to go back and forth and be closer at the game was really fun. Otherwise, like if you're trying to evaluate these two team season based off of this game, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it entirely wrong. Yeah. Oregon uh, is missing their offensive staff, and I think it showed. I know that you said that Kenny Dillingham isn't a god, but, like, you know, they had to put together an offensive staff uh, right before this game just enough to make it through, and I feel like maybe it showed a little bit. Their offense was brutal. Um, They did not have a a good offensive day, 8% explosive play rate. I'm pretty sure that's well below their average. We'll have to go look it up. Um, they, they didn't look great offensively, but they did enough. And their defense, again, it looked for a while, Oregon and Washington were like kind of back to back. I was like, Oregon and Washington, like they've been playing pretty good defense. Like what the hell has gotten into these two? Um, but in the end, I think, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with, well, you're right. North Carolina missing a bunch of guys, Oregon missing a bunch of guys, Oregon missing their offensive staff. So hard to evaluate, but it doesn't matter. Right. Cause all we're going to see when we look back on this in a year, and two years is that Oregon got another 10-win season um, in Dan, Dan Lanning's first uh, season as a head coach. So, Graves, what did you think? Did you get to watch this one? I did. Um, I didn't really want to, but I watched this game. <laughs> I, I think it was, like, very apparent that they're missing their offensive staff, which I have, a, like, a lot of beef with the idea that coaching staffs that get hired away to different programs get hired away before bowl season. And I don't think that should be a thing. And I think we should fix it immediately um, because it makes like bowl games like this, just not as fun. Like they don't have an offensive staff. Why would I watch this game? Um, And it showed. And I am like very interested to see what Oregon looks like without Kenny Dillingham, because I still have no idea if like he's actually elite or not. Um, but overall, like I feel like a 10-win season in your first year as a head coach is like very impressive. But if you take the context of the season where they should have been in the conference championship game, like they blew it for themselves at the end of the year, it doesn't feel that impressive. Yeah. It's it's I hard feel like because it's like, a huge letdown. <laughs> absolutely. And I think if you talk about like Hey, you're going to get your ass kicked by Georgia. You're not going to make the Pac-12 championship game. You're going to win your bowl game by one point against an offensively elite team. I feel like most Oregon fans would have taken that. Like, I, I mean, I know that I came into the season saying that this is probably an eight and four Oregon team. Yeah. And so, like, it, it's really hard to call this Oregon season a disappointment, especially considering know. this I is a first year coaching staff. But. I mean, they did. it kind of, right? Like, it kind of feels like a disappointment. 
I don't know. I guess it feels like a disappointment when you consider that like they looked incredible midway through or for three quarters through the season. I got to say, though, why did I think we all agree that there's one exactly exactly like that's it. It's like the biggest what if of the season for me. I don't even think it's a what if I think it's I, I think that you actually have to look at the defensive performance and say, what the hell happened there? Yeah, I, I think that's I, a I real... I think that that's fair. They had talent on that side of the ball, and they underperformed what they did last year with almost equal talent. That's a concern but, to me. But what other defense? What other defenses in the Pac-12? I mean, it's like Oregon State has a great defense, but like beyond that, it's like we're talking about Utah, which we knew it was kind of shaky and had a really sh- and had a really good stretch that was maybe propped up a little bit by a really weak schedule. Um, sort of at the end there, but like we, none of us trusted Utah's defense like that. Uh, certainly USC's defense was garbage. UCLA's defense has been garbage. Uh, Washington's defense was garbage. So like, I don't know, I guess it's, it, in some ways it's like, it, it's a big what if because the other PAC 12 teams weren't doing much defensively either. And Oregon probably, but Oregon okay. returned their two best players to their two best players. They returned on without I'm, question. Kayvon Thibodeau didn't come back. I don't. Flo being good was just based off of recruiting ranking, though. Who Who are Fair. the two best players that you're talking about? I, I'm saying Flo and Sewell, absolutely. And then yeah, I guess and so. then took obviously Christian Gonzalez, but all right. Yeah. So I I don't know. I guess I'm like yes. I think there's some concerning stuff about Dan Lanning being a defensive head coach and not and putting together a not great defense. Like I think that is a real question mark i think that's gonna got that's got to get figured out uh especially with the talent that oregon does have defensively you would think look if trent bray can turn around oregon state's defense the way mm-hmm. that he did then dan lanning should have been able to turn around the defense maybe the dan way that- lanning was an offensive coach all along and we had no <laughs> idea yeah uh he certainly dan- coaches one he manages games like one um, dan lanning was a stetson bennett merchant all along. who knew <laughs> <laughs> uh, so but but still it's another 10 win season and like 10 win season in this goddamn sport where you know ucla doesn't get 10 win seasons Hell you know yeah. you know you gotta take it and so i in, in some ways when we think about like you know i think this is a disappointment if we're talking about like if we walk through the scenario on November 1. But if we told you this scenario back in August, like, this is fine. And again, for this being Dan Lanning's first season as a head coach, period, not just at Oregon, period, never had any head coaching experience, comes in super green, this is a good performance. Um, two of his and, head, and two his, of his assistants now are head coaches. Like, that's a success. That mm, says something about what he's doing. He would love so, to offload one of his other assistants as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. What? Probably. What the fuck say? out of here, <laughs> Tosh Lupoi. Yes, uh, he is. Uh, who would you rather take right now, Tosh Lupoi or Alex Grinch? Oh fuck! Pro- I would take probably Tosh Lupoi. He's probably a better Lupoy. recruiter. Yeah, yeah. You'd probably have, rather have Tosh Lupoi. Pretty. Crazy I mean, I just threw up in my mouth. I don't know if that's Tosh Lupoi related or not, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was actually a pretty good defensive performance this game. But yeah, generally, Tosh Point didn't have a great game. All right, uh, favorite bowl game. We had all of these, including our Oregon State, Fresno State. Uh, what was that? The um, the L.A. Bowl. We had the Vegas Bowl. Y'all have a favorite uh, bowl game of all the ones that happened this season? My favorite was Oregon State beating Florida. Yeah, that was a fun game for the That was just a lot of fun. And I feel like Oregon State is still one of those programs where the program itself and the fans are just so happy for whatever Mm -hmm. nice thing happens to them. They appreciate it. Like, given how their season went, and they could have gotten a much better bowl game than the Vegas Bowl. Like, I genuinely think they should have been in the Holiday Bowl over Oregon. Um, I think they were just so happy to be there and happy to have that huge win over Florida. And that was very sweet to see. Yeah. I'm very happy for the beeves. Let me be clear. The fans that are happy about this game are exclusively this podcast. That's the only people that matter. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. I, I think that the Oregon state was the most like fun outcome. The actual most fun game was, gosh, it's gotta be USC. Yeah, it, it, it's gotta be the USC two lane. That was a riot. Yeah. That was so yeah. much fun. The Cotton Bowl was uh, a blast in so many ways. I mean, I think uh, it was like a lot of fun because I think they're like USC's defense is bad, but like 
Tulane and USC had really great offensive performances. Like, I think those were genuinely good games. It was a USC meltdown defensively. It was not a USC meltdown offensively, although I guess you could probably say something about the play calling when they were backed up inside their own two. But outside of that, a really good offensive game called for them. I was thinking about UCLA Pitt, but I'm like, they were like, neither of them were like really great. And like, I guess UCLA had a great offensive performance, but Pitt really didn't. So, like, I think it was fun because of the meltdown, the narratives, like all that other stuff. But USC Tulane was like, I don't know, felt like a high, high quality game um, that had some, some really great moments. So, and, and an insane plays from both teams and them going back and forth and it being the last and second, that being a Tulane home game, like Tulane fans were crazy at the cotton bowl. Hell yeah. And especially like scripted the way we thought it would be, right? Like, yeah. Kayla Williams had to do some magic. USC's defense had to miss a billion tackles. Like, it was, <laughs> it was exactly what we expected. And for once, that actually meant that it was the better. Like, it, it achieved expectations and they were high expectations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also kept alive uh, what I called the most rigid curse in the Pac 12, which is the Pac 12 title game loser losing its bowl game. They, <laughs> I could have sworn they were breaking this one. I tweeted four minutes left in the game. Yeah, this is, uh, they're finally going to break the Pac 12 bowl curse. And then Buddy, they lost. Rigid curses and there's uh, universal truths in, in, in <laughs> physics and, and throughout. <laughs> spirituality whatever you believe in and the pac-12 championship game loser losing their bowl game is one of those yeah uh it, absurd and it felt like i was like okay this is definitely happening because caleb williams is playing he's healthy the only one who's like really sitting out is jordan addison and they've got like 10 other receivers anyway and like brendan and, Ray- rice is having a breakout game and so then it's like caleb williams this is gonna happen the injury tent like after the second drive yeah <laughs> yeah and then he still looks fine, you know, like, I don't know, it was a, I was definitely like, wow, they're actually going to break this curse, and nope, we are now one year away from the Pac-12, as it is currently formed, going an entire era without winning a bowl game from the Pac-12 title loser. That's insane. I'm pretty sure it's that's the only power That's what that is. It's wonderful. Washington losing the Alamo Bowl next year. I'm calling it now. It's going to be so <laughs> great. Um, let's, speaking of Washington, I thought we could do a real quick recrowning of the Pac-12 champion. Uh, we have a full season now, including bowl games. And now that we have a little bit more data, I'm curious to hear, like, who do you think should be the Pac-12 champion? Like, if we did an AP poll of just Pac-12 teams, Ooh, who do you like think is 19, number one? 1980 national championship vote. I love this. Exactly. Exactly. But for the Pac-12. So, Matt, who is number one in your Pac-12 AP poll at the end of the season? You're going to call me a homer, but it's Utah. Like, there's just, oh, okay, I okay. think they had the best two wins. Yeah, yeah, that's all I have to say, because otherwise I feel gross about the <laughs> Avery? Yeah, I feel like it has to be Utah because they actually won the conference championship game, but I will I will continue to say how angry I am that Utah was playing in that game instead of Washington. Like, it's just uh, annoying. You're, Go you're away. Cowards. I'm, I don't sa- want I'm, it. Saying it's, I'm saying it's Washington. I think Washington that's was... That's such uh, a bad take. It's not. They have... A, they have... A couple of really important tier one wins. They have a win over UCLA, uh, not UCLA. They lost to UCLA. That's right. Uh, they have a win over Oregon. Tier two. They've got a win that Oregon is tier one and still no. in the Pac-12. The way we've constructed it. That's a they tier have a two. win over Oregon State. Tier one. Can tier we one. agree that Oregon's tier yes. one? Yes. <laughs> Their loss was to UCLA, which Utah also lost to. And yeah, they have a dumb loss to ASU. Uh, but they rattled off seven straight wins against some pretty good teams. Like they are playing their best football, or we're playing their best football at the end of the season. Um, and better football than anyone else is playing. Like, I don't know, USC's defense don't trust it. Utah's defense never trusted it. I think UW would definitely trash Utah's defense. Um, Utah's offense absolutely can't be trusted after what we saw from Cam Rising. Um, Washington's pass rush might actually be pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, I'd put Washington, like, number one in my ballot. I'd probably put um, – I might put Oregon at number two. Maybe I'm putting too much stock into bowl games, but, like, maybe – I don't know. I guess Utah has an argument. I don't know. Um, the Pac-12 had a kind of disappointing end in their in their bowl games, but – yeah, I still think Washington should – they have the best record. They did not get to play. Very unfortunate that we did not get to see them play Utah or USC. That would have told us a lot, but that's just how the schedule worked out. So, 
last question here that I have for y'all. Of the Pac-12 Bowl teams, who do you think has the biggest questions to answer heading into 2023? Who do you think has the most to figure out? Grapes, of the Pac-12 Bowl Utah. teams, who do you think has the most to figure out? It's Utah. It's Utah. Well, I mean... I- I don't, I don't really consider Washington State a bull team. <laughs> I don't really care what's going on with Washington State, but I feel like the quarterback question that's going on at Utah is, is a very big one. Um, at least it should be. If it's not a question, that's very concerning. But yeah. 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 The defense and some of the roster turnover, for sure. Matt, what about you? Who has the biggest questions heading into 2023 of the bull teams? I think it's Washington. I think we need to figure Mm. out what's going on defensively. And even I think that we need to know what's actually happening on the offensive line. Oregon State is actually my very close number two. They have lost a lot on that defensive backfield that we felt was possibly the best unit in the back 12. So that that's my close number two. Um, I, I struggle to call Utah the number one just because obviously I know the answer and I'm smarter than every multi-million dollar coach out there. So like, <laughs> I just don't think it should be that hard, but <laughs> uh, I'm saying USC. I think they've got, they have a lot to figure out uh, defensively so much to figure out defensively. They have a lot to figure out in terms of some of the decision-making um, from Alex Grinch. Now they we all know they have a lot to figure out on their offensive line too. Um, they're going to have to do a lot of roster stuff, but the roster stuff is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is coaching. And the big, big question, the biggest question in all of the back 12 that needs to be answered is, is USC going to get a different defensive coordinator? Are they going to figure out what they're going to do defensively? That is a, a big question for me. So yeah, all fair. Okay. Anything else about the Pac-12 bowl games before we uh, get out of here? I just, I wish we had a system that created bowl games that matter that we could actually make like resolutions and, 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 and actual evaluation off of it's, it's really hard to put as much importance on like a Rose bowl that we do that I think is fair and I think is warranted. But then at the end of it, I'm like, I don't actually know what I can take from this. It's fair. I mean, the the system is abolishing a national championship game. We should just not have national championship games. That really ruins all of this, right? Like, if we if these teams were all just kind of playing and they were like, yeah, these are like big games, and you know, Utah is playing, you know, Michigan. But what if Utah played the Rose Ohio Bowl. State this year, right? Or Michigan, right? If Utah played Michigan or Ohio State, I mean, then we'd know, and then we'd say like, okay, yeah, Michigan cared about that game. This was for a national championship for them. You know, why, why, why not? I don't know. Like we should be able to, these games should matter because these games don't matter as much because there's a national championship game because the best teams get plucked for this 14 playoff. Um, and they don't get to play some of these other ones, um, that would also help determine a national champion. So that's, that's my theory. Anyway, that's it. Uh, that's all we have. Remember we have a uh, weekly football episodes from Matt and Reed. Maybe some other No Truck Stops hosts, I guess, if they ever uh, want to have us on. We've already had many fights about whether they're actually going to be on those or not. Uh, that'll be over on not our Patreon fight. at <laughs> notruckstops.com. And, of course, we have basketball episodes incoming. Pac-12 Conference Hoops season is finally starting, so we'll have plenty to discuss there. But for now, that's all we have. That's Matt. That's Grapes. Somewhere in the ether are Reed and Greg. I'm Carlos. Thank you all for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. I love you. You're not a truck stop. It's kicking in my patience to everything. Said I'm lonelier than a single sex on a quiet city street. Things aren't always green on the sunny side of the street. And I don't mind if the sun don't shine. Bloody weather suits me fine.